This is The Strategist, episode 805. My name is Zane Belchie. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. Guys, what's going on? Well, we're here one day after Stephen's birthday to celebrate everything wrong in the world. Milestone birthday, and how appropriate that we celebrate everything that's wrong after Stephen's birth. <laughs> I don't know if it's a milestone. Is, is 51 a milestone? Are we allowed to say that? It's a deterioration. Like it, it, nothing ever gets better. Yeah, I think it's a yeah. 50 is not a milestone. 50 is like top of the peak. And then it's just, they're just sliding down. Yeah. There's a point in, in your birthdays where you realize there is no way that you're getting closer to half. You're moving away from half. And I am definitely <laughs> in the moving very, away from half. Very generous. You think half you're going to live to a hundred. I mean, we can discuss that later. Um, very generous on your part. I mean, yeah, well, we'll see how it goes right yeah. now. Heather has me last into about 64. And I think that's when she's going to choke the life out of me. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, these many of us don't get to plan it or be part of the plan, and uh, it's nice that you do uh, of, of how you want to go. Corey, any any news from your neck of the woods? Well, it's my daughter's birthday today, and also we announced this week that we're doing another podcast. So, which one do you want to talk about, Zane? Which one I, do you think our listeners I, would be more interested in? I really don't care about your daughter all that much. Uh, let's talk about the podcast. <laughs> wow, I wish I had, cool, I wish, hey? I wish I had yeah. a joke, but I don't. I mean. I'm very excited about the podcast. Uh, yeah, we're yeah we're we're uh, you know we're we're going to talk about America to Americans. Canadians can listen in. We decided we'd give that um, we'd give that concession. Yeah, Canadians are always welcome, but this is for you, Yanks. Is that how <laughs> yeah, we open? And, and, maybe we should tell people what it's called. It's called "You the People." It's it's like a riff, you know. You you heard about this whole "We the People" thing? Oh, yeah. It's like that, but we're not the we. Yeah. So well, that's what we did. This was focus grouped for about 12 months uh, with, <laughs> you know, in every single American time zone, played poorly in all of them. But as part of our regular disdain for our audiences, we said, let's do it anyways. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, the whole vibe here is uh, we don't care. And and this just <laughs> extends on the we don't care vibe. Uh, of course, uh, we were offered sponsors and we said, no, we don't want any sponsors. We're now, of course, uh, regretting the fact that we said no to uh, ZipRecruiter. Uh, many people need jobs, and we could have provided so many jobs to so many people. Uh, but uh, this podcast will not have sponsors, mainly because of our uh, sheer and collective laziness. Um, but we're excited for it. And there's a, and there's a trailer on, on this strategist feed, so subscribe to get that. And it's going to be its own podcast, so, so subscribe to, to listen to the trailer on there. And Whenever we decide what the show's about, I mean, we've got a rough sketch, but whenever we decide <laughs> what the, shit the actual show's about, you'll hear the first episode. We basically, have, we have landed on, it will do something about the United States, it will involve us, and uh, rest TBD. Yep. Rest TBD. Should be great. That's great. Okay, and let's move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, status symbols. Guys, it has been a week. Uh, the protests continue in the United States, expand into North America, Europe, uh, even some countries in Asia. The world is now uh, marching to the to the protest beat of Black Lives Matter uh, across the world. An unbelievable sight. But what I want to hone in on today is the symbolism, and more specifically, the symbolism of two world leaders. One of them is ours, Justin Trudeau, and one of them is, of course, Donald Trump. And I want to compare the symbolism that we saw this week. So with Trump, you had him effectively tear gassing civilians to get to a church to hold up a Bible weirdly. And with Trudeau, you had two moments. You had him taking the knee at the Black Lives Matter protest in Ottawa, but then also the now infamous 21 second 
beats before he uh, moments of silence, so to speak, before he answered a question. So I want to kind of first compare these these pieces of symbolism. So maybe, Carter, I'll start with you. Which one wins the day in the sense of its powerfulness? Uh, which one will we be talking about in the broader scheme of, of, of both the political arc, but perhaps even the historical arc as, as we go forward? Uh, if, if I was a betting man, I'd bet that the historical arc will remember the 21 seconds of silence overtaking the knee. Uh, and the, the, the 21 seconds of silence was a direct message towards the president of the United States, which you don't see a lot of. You don't see a lot of international diplomacy uh, done uh, out in public where the principals are talking trash about another member of their of their very elite clique. Uh, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen at the premier's level. It doesn't generally happen at the mayoral level. And now it has happened at the world leader level and not just with Justin Trudeau. Angela Merkel did the exact same thing with essentially saying she didn't want to be seen or didn't want to be in the same room as Trump. There is now a, a, a formal kind of backlash to Trump, Trump's uh, leadership. And it's really manifesting itself uh, both through that 21 second uh, delay, as well as the G7 and how people are approaching his uh, deranged lunacy of organizing a, a world leader conference in the midst of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Uh, Corey, before I go to you, Carter, compare the two leaders for me, though. Which one had the more powerful symbolism this week? I know, you know, for the for the liberal sort of crowd globally, the Trudeau moments are going to stand out. But but give me the political goods. Which of the two do you think had the political moment that that might speak loudly? You can never forget that Trump's base is that Bible waving um, American Christian who thinks that uh, uh, there's a number of them that think that Christ, Christ and, and, and Trump belong in something vaguely resembling the similar sentence, um, which baffles me. Uh, but I do think that him going to the church and holding the, the Bible does speak to his base. So he did speak to his base the same way that Trudeau spoke to his base uh, and spoke, I, I think, legions to... Uh, to minorities around the world when he took a knee um, at the Black Lives Matter protest. I mean, each was in that moment speaking to groups. Um, but Trump needs to be heard by his base more than anything else. He needs his base to love him in this moment because ain't no one else loving him. Ain't no one else loving him at all. Carter, am I hearing you say that Trump's moment kind of is like more time stamped, more time boxed for the current sort of political cycle and Trudeau's might be a little bit more historic? Am I putting words in your mouth by asking that? I think the history. I think that um, I think that Trump's moment is going to be remembered for a long time because it fits his remembered for a long time within his demographic. But history books will not remember it. So I'm you trying know, to put things in in the in the realm of historical pieces. And I think that Trudeau's 21 seconds is more historical. And I'm seeing you know, you know I'm seeing you Corey. You know, one of the things one of the things we've debated. Visually. One of the things we've debated is is whether we should have a video version of this podcast. And you know, we we debated the fact that what would be the use, right? We're three. You know, we're one handsome and two uh, below average looking men. Um, and what would be the point for staring at that for an hour? Uh, the last 45 seconds of staring at Corey would have actually had your money's worth because this guy was losing his collective shit, taking his hat off, rolling his eyes. Corey, do you want to say something? Is there anything you want to comment on? But first, before you do, give me the comparison. Which one won the day? Trump, this is so dumb. The idea that Trudeau's reaction to Trump's moment is somehow bigger than Trump's moment. Like, oh, come on. It's just like the, I don't even know what to say about the, like kind of the, 
this, the Canadian centricity of that. That's that's absurd, right? Oh, that is just God. absurd. We will be talking about Trump. We will be talking about an American president deciding that he is going to tear gas his own citizens, walk across and not separate church and state. I mean, that that is far more impactful than Trudeau uh, maybe making a statement, maybe just not knowing what to say. I suspect he was making a statement, but come on. Like, come on. Come on. He was absolutely a making a statement. What the hell I is this? Make me making I'm... a statement. It's a world leader saying to other world leaders, that world leader, the guy who used to be the leader of the free world is trash. That was the message. And that message isn't heard very often in international politics. Mr. Hogan. I, I don't know if I matter at Zane's question or Carter's answer. They're both terrible. I'll tell you this. Do you, do you want to, like, well, you have thought of doing your own spinoff podcast. We could just leave <laughs> and, and let that happen. Corey talks to Corey. Well, it would certainly improve this particular segment. I'll tell you this. <laughs> the, the, the thing Trump, you know, the whole Trump reaction, um, was shocking. There's absolutely no way Justin Trudeau wasn't expecting some version of the question. The only curveball put on the question was, and what would your silence or inability or unwillingness to answer this question say? Right. So it almost became a bit of a trap. Like you either tell me something about how bad Trump is, or you say how bad you are by not saying anything at all. So, I mean, there was that curveball, uh, which is the only reason I don't say hundred percent, absolutely guaranteed that it was uh, Trudeau. Uh, making a statement. However, that explains maybe 10 seconds of it. The other 11 were kind of hamming it up, in my opinion. Hamming um, it up? <laughs> but, oh my God. Well, you know, you're, to your point, and this is just a general rule about diplomacy, you you don't leave a lot of room for interpretation, right? You you over overstate everything. Your, your pauses are longer. Your statements are more definitive. This is how you make sure you're not misunderstood. And he obviously wanted to make sure he was not misunderstood in this moment. Or I think so at least. So Carter, look, any, any rebuttal? Oh, go ahead, Corey, finish it off. I, I, I don't know. I, everything that we talk about Trudeau doing this week is in reaction in a sense to what the president of the United States did. We are, this is not a story about us. We have our own we have our own challenges with race. We've talked about that last week. We will continue to talk about those. But, you know, as Canadians, we do have a bad habit of trying to insert ourselves into the center of everything. And this is this is about how bad Trump is. This is not about Trudeau's moments of humanity. Wait, and, and Corey, I'll come back to this, but Carter, to you. Do, you. do you take Corey's argument here that everything here is a reaction to Trump, even as it relates to the knee that Trudeau took? It's been three and a half years of reacting to Trump. There's never a moment in our in our collective uh, experience right now that we're not reacting to something that the former leader of the free world used to be, you know, like has said or done. Um, and watching a great superpower uh, disintegrate and have their global reputation undermined. I mean, all we're doing is reacting to Trump um, when, you know, especially here in Canada. Canadians, every time something happens in the United States, we are going to be impacted. Uh, we talked about that last week. We'll talk about that next week. Anything that happens uh, is going to create a reaction here. I don't understand how this reaction is any different than any other reaction, because really, who the hell has been taking action uh, that we can remember in the last three and a half years other than Trump? Because everything else is just, holy shit, what did he just say? Because it's all nuts. Nuts. Corey, Corey, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying the fact that the knee 
which is something that Trudeau was probably the first leader in the world to do. And we can discuss, you know, what actions need to follow. I don't believe that was a reaction to Trump. Explain to me, maybe explain to our audience how 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 you say that or how how you kind of make that argument. Here's what I'll say. I can see a world where Justin Trudeau would have done that without Donald Trump having reacted as poorly as he did there. But there is no way our prime minister was unaware of the comparison he was drawing uh, when he did that. Right. I, I, Donald Trump has acted in in a downright bizarre fashion, even for him. Like, you know, he he was saying George Floyd's looking down from heaven, happy that the jobs report's good and the stock market's doing well. You know, insanity. It's yeah. insanity. But but it, the, Trudeau knows that that is that is kind of the world leader. You know, that that is the sun through which the planets of every other world leader are revolving right now. All actions are judged relative to that. And I am absolutely certain that Trudeau was happy to draw the comparison that he did. I, I think it was in reaction. I'm not saying that that that's a bad thing in this case. He was saying people need to see a world leader take a different stance. And this is how I can best present these things. But yes, it was absolutely a reaction, in my opinion. Corey, if you were advising him like in this week, would you have indicated he would do something like this? Didn't have to be exactly what he did with the 21 second pause or or taking the knee at the protest. But did you feel like because you're the one who's saying we insert ourselves into anything. Would your advice have been to not do anything? I just want to clarify where you stand on this. I think when you're the prime minister of Canada, you have to say something about this. This is such an important issue. Um, I, I certainly think that you can make the case that globally we need to see world leaders. And we don't tend to think of Canada as a world leader in a lot of contexts, but we are a huge economy, you know, bigger than Russia's economy. Um, they need to see people taking action like this and understand that this is that, that, that there are people fighting for a better world. It's not just people clearing uh, you know, squares with tear gas and then going and grandstanding in front of a church. There are people actively working to make this a better world. So yeah, I think it was absolutely appropriate that he did that. Absolutely appropriate, absolutely right, but absolutely a reaction to truth or to Trump. Carter, would you have advised the same that a reactionary moment, if you buy that that sort of <clears throat> um, phrasing of, of what Trudeau did was necessary? Would you feel like what Trudeau did this week was probably what you would have, would have advised in some way? We were all reacting. We reacted with our podcast last week. We're reacting with our podcast this week. We're doing it. Why wouldn't we have told Trudeau to do it? Um, to ignore this moment would have been, uh, number one, morally wrong and uh, offside with, I think, what the morals of of the of Canada are. And number two, it's politically bad politics. Like You don't want to be offside at a time when everybody's mm -hmm. on one side. Uh, and certainly, I think Canadians... Uh, you know, I, to echo Corey's point, we have our own, uh, we have a, a, a very tarnished, our own tarnished history with race uh, that we can't walk past. Um, but to not stand up in this moment when everybody else is acknowledging uh, the challenges that the quote unquote Western world have with race, um, uh, this is the time that Trudeau, we would have all advised Trudeau to do something, whether it was this specific thing or something else. Carter, give me the political scorecard. How would you rank? The, the two symbols that Trudeau had this week with the knee and the 21 seconds of silence, were they home runs? I, I thought, well, I thought the knee was, I thought the knee was interesting in that it was, it was the first, you know, Corey brought that up when in his, his comments, you know, it was the first world leader to take a knee um, with protesters. And that was significant. 
I still think the 21 seconds is more important. I think the 21 seconds is more important in a historical sense uh, because it is an admonishment of the leadership that exists south of our border. And uh, I just don't think that that type of admonishment exists very frequently. Corey, to you, political scorecard on those two symbols? I don't know. I'm not even sure people were sitting around saying, what's the political score on this? I suspect having sat in offices like that and conversations like that, there was probably a lot of conversation about what's right. And um, whether it was politically savvy or not is, um, is something that I don't think anybody can, can really tell you right now. And I think frankly, maybe they, they shouldn't be so worried about that and they probably haven't been, but they, uh, they, they were actions that landed well. I think Canadians wanted a way that they could have their leader say they are absolutely not aligned with the United States on this one. Uh, Trudeau found a way to do that. Um, the, the taking a knee will be more controversial. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, he, he, drew, he drew a line in the sand. And I think it was a powerful statement. And I certainly think it will be remembered. Look at that. Corey's, Corey's the one calling me. Uh, effectively uh, pointing out that I'm crass for even asking the question. You know, it's, it's frustrating though, dry. because what, you, you, what high mindedness is this? Come this on, is, Corey. This, <laughs> this is frustrating because, you know, Trudeau goes to India, where's all the, you know, where's all the, the traditional getups and those types of things and doesn't think of the politics and doesn't think about how it's going to look. And it lands unbelievably flat. And, you know, now, Trudeau is 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 thinking of the politics and being part of the political conversation that exists because this isn't an issue that exists with a, outside of politics. It is a political issue and it needs a political response because you can't be tone deaf to this situation. So this was a, he, the question was political scorecard. It wasn't about politics. I agree with you about politics. But the reason why the India trip was very different um, is that that it was unnecessary, right? It was, it, it was injecting into a, a different culture, almost your, your dress up of their culture, right? This is, this is very different. Yeah. Well, and the worst, that, and the, the worst part is he still hasn't returned my clothes. Um, so quick question to you guys. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> uh, I want, I, I don't want to lose this thread before I move on, but then I want to focus in on the knee a little bit more because of, of what it meant. The first doing it with protesters uh, there was criticism. Uh, it was not universal acclaim. It was not universally positive because uh, the, the the saying was that he hasn't really done anything. Uh, he took the knee, take the knee after you've done something. Carter, what do you make of that exercise? Take the knee after you've done something. Has this just kind of increased the political hurdle for Trudeau now to, to actually deliver on something like this? Because he's taking his victory lap before he does anything. I mean, this is going to be the ultimate benchmark, right? It is e- easier to take a knee than it is to implement some sort of cultural change, uh, you know, in, in Canada. Uh, this isn't new. It is not, um, I mean, maybe it's more serious now, but I, I don't think so. I think it's been a crisis. We, we just ignored it for so damn long. It's hard to know what level of the crisis we're at. Um, but Trudeau has now... I think firmly indicated that he's going to do something. Um, whether that something measures up or not, I'll, I'll let us judge that in a future podcast. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because it is one thing to legislate something; it is another thing entirely to change the way that people think. 
Well, Carter, and don't that's you think really where we are? Well, with that being said, don't you think he's setting himself up for failure? He gets what, what's close to universal praise on this with some, you know, criticism for taking the knee. Now it can't get better than that. Any any sort of difficulty in policy in a minority government? How does how does he deliver? Jane, we've talked about this before. He's the prime minister of Canada. Everything that lands on his desk is a half win, half loss. Right. Like there is there's very little you can do in the world. He could take the knee and then have 95 percent of Canadians think that that was the right move. A move. I'm not sure if it's 95. I'm not sure if it's yeah. 90. You know, I haven't seen any polling on it. But what I can say is that when he brings legislation, when he actually does something rather than just doing something symbolic, it will not receive nearly the praise that that just taking the symbolic action does. And the interesting piece is in terms of where the value lies, sometimes the value lies in the symbolic more than the value lies in the actual action. And that's, that's um, Trudeau's always had the symbolism just really well dialed. Yeah. Corey, same question to you. Like, how do you reconcile this, this symbolism right now with, with action that he has to, I, I guess, more so deliver on in, in, in the coming weeks, months, years. Yeah, and this isn't unique to the federal government of Canada. There are an awful lot of organizations out there putting out an awful lot of statements, making an awful lot of proclamations about how their behavior will be governed in the future that it will be difficult to follow up on, for sure. Uh, they should. It will be difficult for them to do so. And they are raising expectations of action. Um, there, there are people who are striking committees about how they are going to look at things differently. There are an awful lot of organizations saying, we are doing a lot of soul searching. Those are pretty open-ended. Uh, those allow you to read into, your, uh, into the moment your expectations and that organization meeting those expectations. That is not a guarantee those expectations will be met. What could come out of it could be pretty piss poor, not just for the federal government, but for a lot of these groups. So I think that my general counsel to anybody in this organization is be very careful because the easiest thing in the world is to agree, right? Mm -hmm. Just to agree wholesale. Um, but if it's sincere and if you are going to follow this up with sincere action that is actually going to make a difference in people's lives, you need to say things that you can actually do. And you can you cannot you cannot just kind of set up that future problem for yourself and sleep at night. So think very carefully about these proclamations that you're making. And that goes for the federal government as well. You bring up a very interesting sort of line of questioning, which which I hadn't planned on, but I, I want to chat about, which is the other side of the coin. Because as much as you guys have been in government, in the bureaucracy, you know, responding, uh, you guys have also dealt with being the advocates, trying to push for the change. So Carter, to you, if you were giving free counsel to you know individuals of, of the Black Lives Matter movement or even your local chapter trying to push the government, what would you tell them? Like, what would you tell them right now when organizations, governments, municipal leaders are making these promises? What is the accountability mechanism that you feel like works the best or, or that you would, you would encourage them to, to lean into in this moment in time? I'm kind of of two minds because I want to tell them to make sure that they are... Um, broad enough to stay unified, right? So that the weakness of these movements is that they are, of course, of course, re representative of the moment that they're in. And they're also representative of a, you know, the group of people that they're trying to represent. But everybody brings a different goal or agenda to the table. And what we wait for when these movements are going on when you're in government is for the movement just to fall apart. Because movements... Governments don't kill movements. Movements kill movements. And ultimately, if Black Lives Matter, this isn't the first time we've seen Black Lives Matter. Um, 
if you're going to see it and you're going to see it actually succeed, it has to be both committed in its goals um, while also being very, uh, you know, committed in, in what it's trying to achieve, like, and, and holding everybody within the movement accountable to that singular set of goals. Um, the beauty of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, for example, is that it has a singular focus. It knows exactly what it wants to be when it grows up. It has a singular uh, legislative aim. Uh, what is the legislative aim of Black Lives Matter and how will they bring that to government so that you because ultimately what government's going to need right now is a scorecard. How do we keep you happy? How can you, you know, so when we talk to Black Lives Matter, you know, if I was advising them, I'd say, OK, Black Lives Matter. What are we asking government to do? What what's the thing that they can do tomorrow? that they can check off their to-do list. And then we can ask them for another thing the next day. But you have to ask them for the first thing first. And that's what I think kills movements is that they can't agree on the first thing or the second thing or the third thing. They want it all. They want it all now. And that's not that's not governments to give. give a, government can't give these things. Corey, I want to go down a rabbit hole with Carter for one second before I come to you. Carter, have you been, do you recall at your time as chief of staff or in, as a senior political official being lobbied by a movement that just shot itself in the foot? I'm kind of curious if you have any top of mind anecdotal sort of thoughts related to, to, to the concrete advice you had here. Great. We'll take that. Carter's giving us 21, <laughs> 21 seconds of silence by Stephen Carter. He's going to think deeply. <laughs> You know, I mean, we did a we, lot of work with with Mad, and we did a lot of work with yeah. um, with you know, drunk driving, and I think that we were okay because we ultimately we wanted to give them what they were asking for. They were very, very disciplined. They came in and asked for a very specific thing that had been done in other jurisdictions, and we were able to meet that. They said, "Here's the legislation that exists in other jurisdictions. Why aren't you doing that, you dumb fucks?" And that's easy. That's easy. I'm not sure that 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 easy checkbox exists with black lives matter as it's currently being discussed. Yeah. Corey, or over to you. What, what would, what would the council be to, to organizations looking to, to advance their agenda with government at this moment when government's making these promises? Well, the answer was hidden in, in Carter's inscrutable answer. And that's just to get as concrete as possible. Say, I want this action targeted towards this outcome on these timelines. And I want you to lock into that course of action now publicly. So don't let governments get away with exploring an issue. That's how governments kick a can. Don't let governments get away with task forces. That's how governments kick a can. Get real and get real in a hurry. Now, this is not a one-way street. You know, this is a relationship. As soon as you get into that kind of um, negotiation, governments in return will want assurances. They will want to make sure you stand up and say, I am with the government on this. The government is doing the right thing. If the government feels they will do this and the goalposts are immediately going to move, they're not going to do this, right? And it's not even because they wouldn't necessarily uh, agree with that course of action in, in kind of even the short-term, middle-term, or long-term. It's because of the, uh, of the challenges of, of essentially always having to chase the next promise, Right. And in those cases, they will then just say, OK, we're going to do a task force. We're going to do what it takes to get out of the moment and we'll end up doing exactly where you think you want to go or maybe three quarters of it down the road. Carter, finish us off. Well, I mean, I just couldn't agree more with what Corey just said, which is obviously very frustrating. Um, but the it, the idea that if, if the if the goalposts are going to constantly move and you're never going to be seen to be succeeding, then why would you even try? 
And, and that's the way the government has to think of these things, because ultimately, government still needs to be reelected. And so if their issue, they can't win on the issue that you're bringing to the table, they will simply try to make another issue more important by the time they get to the next election. I want to take what we're talking about here in, in theory and make it more concrete. So let's move it on to our next segment, bucking the trend. So I want to talk about three white dudes currently in public office, whether here in Canada or in the United States, who are bucking the trend with some of the, the, the I guess what I say, the trends that are happening in the last couple of weeks. And I wanted to start with this guy. I wanted to end with this guy, but I'm going to move him first, which is the mayor of Minneapolis. Now, I don't know if you guys had a chance to see this. But he he was they the Black Lives Matters protests were outside of his apartment in Minneapolis. They 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 elicited this this mayor out to get him out of his apartment. He came out on the street and they asked him point blank, right? Just just as we were just chatting about, will you defund the police? And a yes or no question on the street, cameras everywhere. And he ultimately gave a rambling response. And for some context for individuals, this is a progressive democratic mayor 38 years old civil rights rights lawyer probably one of the more progressive mayors that the united states has uh especially in 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 uh, in a place like minnesota uh broadly but he says ultimately no after two minutes i will not be defunding the police so i wanted to talk about this and i'm not sure if you guys even had a chance to see this i didn't give you any warning no, but that's the nature of this podcast uh but but i wanted to talk about this because this is exactly what you're talking about in theory this is the movement now holding him to account but it's missing a critical piece that Corey talked about which was those goalposts and there was no real reward because it was you either answer to us right now as a yes or or we're gonna primary you out we've got the election Corey. i want to go to you first on this yeah, he should have said it after one second. And I'm not saying that to be flip. I'm not saying that I, I think defunding the police is a crazy idea, although it's not an idea I heard anybody talking about until about a week ago, at least in my circles, which I admit are, are just, you know, very privileged circles. Um, but it's the rambling that really killed him in that case, because he satisfied nobody as a result. He disseminated, he went back and forth, he, he rambled, and then he ultimately got to where he was going to end up. And if in the first moment he realized, I'm not going to get away with the little soft shoe here, I've, I can't dance, I'm going to just have to say the answer is no. By the way, and, and now the thing is, the majority, uh, like a veto-proof majority of council has generally yeah. agreed to do this, uh, is kind of the next part of that story. Um, but in, instead he, he kind of flailed about, and that was really his challenge on that moment. Carter. Well, and I think that this is also really important for what you're asking from the government, because the words matter, right? Def we get three to five words that are going to define the issue and, and define the, the piece. And, and this, is, the words that were chosen are defund the police. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Whereas if you'd chosen something like demilitarize the police or uh, re reconstitute the police or refocus the police, there's a number of different words that could have been used that really bring us back to some of the core problems. Defunding the police, there's a whole group of, of the audience that's not going to be looking for the nuance of what the hell does that mean. They're going to hear literally defund the police, which means no more police, which means no one's coming to stop uh, the, the issues that people are legitimately afraid of. So my, my view is this is an opportunity for, for protest movements uh, like Black Lives Matter to really work the language and understand the they're going to get a lot of yes. There's a lot of yes out there. So ask for things that people can say yes to. Um, 
there's a lot of yes, a tremendous amount. Like we've seen the NFL reverse their position. Now <laughs> oh that doesn't matter as much, right? That doesn't have real consequence, but it's yes. And that's where we can start to see, you know, like I would, I would have, I don't know, maybe I'm just, I would have been more comfortable saying we have to demilitarize the police. We have to move towards a community police service that actually works for the community, including, and maybe even putting uh, black lives at the forefront because it's, it's, it's broken. It's just totally broken. I can't believe how many videos we're seeing um, and how many we've been seeing for years that, you know, we, we, we know it's broken and it's not being fixed. You know, uh, Corey, I want to go to you on this because Carter just m mentioned something that we often talk about in the advocacy world, which is, you know, tell me something I can say yes to. Let me be the champion of the parade so that I, I can get credit and take the victory lap as a public official. In times like this, and we talk about that in peace times, right? How you go and advocate to government to push through legislation and, and you know, policies that, that you want um, legislated. Does that all change now? Like, is it is it now like rather than any sort of carrot, it's just pure stick? Like you either do something or it's over. Is that the right tact in this moment in time? Because it seems to be working. At least it did in Minneapolis. They didn't get the mayor. But uh, to your point, you know, they got city council. It's happening in L.A. It's happening in other places. Is it now just just a stick that you go with uh, to, to get this change done? Well, the stick has been pretty effective, so I don't want to totally uh, disparage it, but it's really the difference between compliance versus commitment, right? If governments are terrified, they will do exactly what they think they need to do to, to manage the moment and, and keep the public on side. But the minute the light is off that, there is going to be a thousand small ways they are going to start to erode those commitments. Defund the police all of a sudden becomes, yeah, we're just renaming the police force, right? That's mm. how it happens, and it happens faster than you can possibly imagine. The best way to get a government on side for the long term is to align your interests with their interests. And that, at the end of the day, means sharing some of the credit for the good things you're doing with them to make them invested in this being a long-term solution. Carter, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I th and it's really tough because I think also, especially a group like like Black Lives Matter, where the consequences have been so, so severe for so long, uh, and there's righteous anger. Um, it's hard to not just simply say now every, you know, give us everything. I, I think you can still ask for lots of things, but it, it really needs to be thought through in terms of what the win is. And uh, there's tremendous amount of opportunity uh, for the world to get better. Um, it needs to get better. So let's, let's make sure that we're working, you know, that everybody's on the same side as we're going through this uh, and that sides, I think we talked about this. I, I spoke about it last week. Don't make sides. Try and stay away from sides. Try and make sure that everybody's moving towards um, achievable goals that will make a, a tremendous difference for, for generations. Corey, I want to finish with you on, on this particular one, which is to what Carter said earlier around keeping this movement as broad as it can. Now that this concept of defunding the police is out there, the ask is being made of municipal leaders, sometimes point blank on the street uh, while cameras are being recorded. Does the ask have to now be universally that or can they can they layer in can the movement? layer in other elements into it. Like I, I'm just trying to understand, and I know we may not have the answers, but I want to think us think through this is if you're leading the movements right now, are you layering in other asks after you get a few yeses in LA and Minneapolis and other cities? How, what are you, what are you kind of thinking about? 
Yeah, of course, you're you're always thinking about how, especially if you are an advocacy group that is advocating for a cause. I don't know of very many advocacy groups that get everything they want, right? Because ultimately, yeah. they're usually built less around a, a concrete deliverable and more about an outcome. And often that outcome is rather visionary. It is, you know, the the world they want. It's the it's the city on a hill, right? And um, and so, of course, as you start getting success, you follow up success with additional requests. You you move the conversation forward. You you try to change the overall landscape, and by doing that, you're not just trying to push further, but you're you're helping secure the gains that you got. Because all of a sudden, those gains aren't the vanguard. The vanguard right. is the vanguard, and it allows you uh, to have a certain security that things are not going to backslide potentially as far as they could. The vanguard is the vanguard is the most Corey Hogan phrase I've heard, Carter. To you. Well, I would just say that this is ultimately, while it appears like an international movement, and obviously it is having tremendous international impact, it is still at its core a local movement. And because it's local, it has the ability to respond to the local uh, challenges, the local conditions, and and people can make uh, different asks to different governments. And then you can start seeing those those pieces of legislation, like the like my Mad example from earlier, where Mad comes in and says, "Look at this legislation that's really working well in in British Columbia." You can see those types of things that are brought in over and over and over again across different markets because each market, each community has achieved different ends. I think so, it is abundantly clear Stephen only had one meeting as chief of staff. <laughs> it was with Mad Canada. He, he had a grand total. No, it was them and pipelines. Those are the only two meetings I took. Uh, I'll tell you <laughs> something, Stephen. It could not be. <laughs> it could not be more clear that you are desperate to talk about. I don't want to talk uh, about it. Yeah, you don't no. want to talk about the Alberta government's changes to drunk driving legislation? No, I don't, okay. have it. I, I don't have it on the agenda either. Okay, I want to move <laughs> it on to our next next of three individuals, Mitt Romney, uh, a guy with uh, with presidential aspirations, now senator from Utah, uh, been a pseudo-outspoken critic of Trump on certain issues, uh, now marching on the streets of Washington talking about Black Lives Matter. Uh, the political importance of this, was this... Was this actually important or, or is this becoming too big of a deal as we kind of sit here on Sunday evening when, and as the internet bubbles up about this? I mean, the, of course it matters. Um, this is a rebuke. I mean, the same way that in my mind, Trudeau's taking the knee and Trudeau's 21 seconds mattered. Um, this is a rebuke of the man who's currently in the office. And I was I was thinking, you know, I mean, obviously the parallels to his father in 1968 or 69 are, are fairly um right out there and 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 he's he's clearly you know taking this opportunity uh to show that the values of his family and the values of uh the Republican party can and should be on the side of the of black lives matter this should not be a divisive issue but i can't help thinking that he's also playing a different game i can't help thinking what the, that there's somewhere there's conversations within the republican party itself Wondering if Trump can weather this and whether or not Trump's still going to be the standard bearer in 2020, which is, I know, nuts. I, I see Corey shaking his head. I can feel him shaking yeah. his head all the way over here in Northwest Calgary. I, I'm still, sh- I, I, I think, and I wonder if the optimist in Mitt Romney isn't saying, you know, if this guy goes down another six points, the Republicans are going to have no choice but to replace him in over the summer. And he very easily, with another outbreak of COVID or with a uh, continued unrest of Black Lives Matter or, God forbid, some other <laughs> unforeseen 
uh, challenge in in the future in in the coming weeks. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Romney's not trying to position himself as the as a choice. Uh, that's Stephen my, Carter. That's the my master. Choice. Max Master of prediction, Stephen Carter is back. <laughs> I am he so is, good. At he's that. here. I'm he's so good. At these. Write this I one mean, down. Write this one down. You never write down the ones that are right on. You only write down the ones I'm wrong on. I'm definitely Corey, going to grab this audio for future <laughs> use. Corey, I was going to ask you about Romney's upside. I mean, if it's not president uh, in 2020, uh, and 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 it seems like you've you've taken a step back. You see more more lukewarm than 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 you did before. But if it's not president, what is Romney's upside here? Well, what's what's his political upside? I mean, people already know that he's a rebuke of 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 Trump, so he's probably solidified his ground with 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 moderates. Uh, but talk to me about some of his upside. Well, maybe it's legacy, or is it possible he's a principled man? I mean, maybe it is. Maybe we should be a little less cynical about all of these things. Yeah, he is seventy three. He's not going to run in twenty twenty four. I can't imagine. So it's either president now or never. Um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people probably look at him and say, yeah, better than Joe, better than Donald. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe he is just trying to keep his options open. Um, but I, I think that it was a powerful statement. And it also presents a, an alternative worldview of republicanism that I think is rather appealing to a number of never Trumpers who were never happy with Donald Trump. I want to move it on to our third individual of this set, and I'm focusing more locally on here because we talked about Jacob Fry, the mayor of Minneapolis. We talked about Mitt Romney uh, marching Black Lives Matter. Another person bucking the trend in some ways as, as other world leaders, premiers, governors, et cetera, are trying to increase the capacity of citizens to have freedom around things like protesting, things like going out, uh, you know, this conversation between the civil rights of uh, citizens and police. I look at Jason Kenney here at, at Bill 1 in Alberta. So Stephen Carter, give us an understanding what Bill 1 is and then give me your reaction um, to what's happening here because it is related to this larger swath of issues we're discussing right now as well. Well, I mean, Bill 1, simply uh, put, is a uh, it's defined as the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. Uh, and if you're ever looking at something that really restricts your rights, always look at uh, something that's defending something else. Uh, this is defending... Uh, really critical infrastructure like pipelines, oil and gas production, utilities, communications, uh, highways, railways, mines, any place, frankly, that anyone would like to protest. Um, it's putting in a different legal uh, infrastructure, or, uh, different legal per parameters for people to be able to do so. Uh, and it's changed the penalties uh, for these types of protests. So 10,000 bucks for the first offense, uh, $25,000 for subsequent offenses uh, with possible prison time. Uh, so, you know, there's been a question asked of whether or not uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests, which have shut down roadways, which have um, not targeted what we would consider critical infrastructure, but whether or not they'd even still be legal in a uh, dystopian future under Jason Kenney as premier. Uh, and this bill did pass right in the middle yep. of the Black Lives Matter um, protests. And it's it's funny because in Alberta, and I think a lot of places, you can get almost anything done uh, in this particular moment if you say it's for jobs. It's for jobs. It's to protect people's jobs. Um, and, and I guess that it is, but it also comes at a cost because people's jobs and people's voices um, – you know, the, the jobs come and go. Voices are forever. And when you take away the ability to protest the decisions of government, uh, 
uh, in any way or protest and get your point across, it does undermine some of our fundamental rights as Canadians. Uh, and, and this, this act, uh, I think does that. Um, and, and this is what Kenny does. Kenny comes after Kenny. Kenny doesn't really care, uh, about these rights. He cares about, um, being in charge and being in control. And that's all this bill is really trying to do. Corey, I've, I've talked about COVID being cloud cover now, COVID plus black lives matter. Is this, is this, uh, cloud cover for for Kenny to pass this through, or are you uh, once again on the train of of saying that Carter and I are too cynical? The this particular bill occurred before COVID. It has nothing to do with COVID. I, I think that's the first thing that you no. Need I'm to, saying passing no, it during COVID as cloud cover. COVID. That's what I'm trying to passing it during. It's it has nothing to do with COVID. So just put COVID out of your heads on that one. And I think that the scare quotes Carter is putting around possible prison time also need to be just moderated a bit. You know, oh, prison sorry, time. Did I read the act wrong? No, I didn't. Prison oh. time is a possibility for an awful large number of offenses. Failure to yield for a school bus has possible prison time. Okay. Uh, up to six months is part of that language that just gets bolted onto bills left, right, and center. The real question is whether this is an appropriate and just increase in the amount of penalty uh, in a cash sense, right? And this was announced in the context of a number of these protests that occurred up in Edmonton um, uh, last year. And it was funny, one of the protests, so a bridge got shut down for a large period of time. People were losing their minds. Uh, One of the protesters on that bridge used to work for me, just in the what a small world kind of thing. And and then there was some uh, similar protests just west of the city related to pipeline construction and whatnot. there was this micro narrative, right, about whether whether these things should be allowed and and what would Alberta do about that? And, you know, politicians did what politicians do, which is they in a moment reacted to the moment to do something they probably would have wanted to do anyways, but they, they saw an opportunity to do that. So um, obviously, when it was created, it was not even really about Alberta, although it has impact in Alberta. It was Alberta making a stand about what they believe is appropriate if somebody is trying to shut down critical infrastructure. And that's obviously going to play out with the construction of the Trans Mountain Pipeline in British Columbia more than it is here, right? None of these projects were ever at risk in Alberta, but it was kind of your standard statement bill that that always people go searching for for bill one. I mean, the, the if you want to just see a litany of like sad, really kind of either morally or legally weak legislation, look at bill ones throughout history and throughout jurisdictions. They're, they're, they're showpieces that just try to show what the government is about at that moment. And they're not really about governing most of the time. I'll, I'll let you know a little secret. I'm, I'm going to do a reenactment of one month before session everywhere under every political party. Session's coming up. Do you have a bill one? What are we going to say this session? Yeah, they right? chose and they chose to restrict people's rights on 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 protests that rarely even happen. And they tried to put uh, astronomical fines and constraints so that we could have uh, our own little world where no one protests pipelines and said, I got I got news for you. Bill one has no impact on the development of pipelines or oil and gas facilities because anywhere in the world except Alberta. And it's not going to matter because these things were rarely protested in Alberta anyways. Like it has, you're right. It has no impact, but it does send a message. Don't mess with us. You little fuckers. That's what the message is. And it, and it just am I hearing Carter that that's up. not the right, but, but I'm hearing you say that that's not the right message for this government to be delivering. Not at am this I, time. I, and, and you know what? You can put it on the back burner. 
you got all this shit going on. You got the massive protests. Some of the largest protests in, in Alberta history are happening right now. Why would you pass a protest, an anti-protest bill? Put it on the back burner. You got some time. You got some time. Corey, you seem more dismissive. He's I, always look. dismissive. He's bitter. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a fan of of the idea that we are going to make protesting a financial hardship. I, I think that there is a balance that governments must strike between uh, facilitating the right to free speech and the fact that things need to move on. I don't know that when I hear big round numbers like 10,000 and 25,000, that it is well calibrated. Those numbers seem to be chosen more for sticker shock than they are for whether it appropriately reflects what the um, what the economic consequences could be. But, you know, in my opinion, if you wanted to go this road, it would have made more sense to try to tie it to what the cost was. But uh, they didn't do that. And so here we are. And I think that it is not the bill I would have written. Um, it's not a bill I would recommend anybody, right? But it's 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 not this just like assault on democracy that Stephen Carter is making it out to be. Sure it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave it right there for that segment. Let's move it on to our last segment, our over, under, and our lightning round. Guys, are you ready? Oh, totally. Car- yes. Uh, Carter, I'm going to start with you. On a scale of one to 10, give me how, how, how large and how brilliant of a masterstroke was it for Black Lives Matter's uh, plaza to be created. Now, this is, of course, the, the yellow paint, uh, as well as the renaming for that that street location, I guess uh, uh, helped in part by the mayor of D.C. Give me the political masterstroke for for what the symbolism of that was. It was excellent, if for no other reason than the drone shot was amazing. Like the shot from above was fantastic. So Not I give a real it excellent. shot. Yeah. Not a real so shot. I don't even care. You know what? I don't <laughs> even care. It looks perfect. Uh, Corey? I think it was pretty good, but they better keep painting it because the symbolism of that fading apart uh, will not be great on DC if they That's don't. That's a very interesting point. Oh, point. Oh, oh, over under on seven, over under on seven. How big of a deal is it for the Biden campaign uh, that Colin Powell today said that he's voting for for Joe Biden? Over under on seven. Corey, I'll go to you first. It's exactly what you would expect. Unless he's willing to get off the bench and actually go campaign for him, it's nothing. Yeah, needs improvement. Um, Colin Powell has has come off, and he's he's endorsed virtually every Democratic uh, nominee for over a decade. This isn't something new. Good. So I'm glad that you guys are continuing the trend of na- not answering my questions numerically or otherwise. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, next one, Corey. I'm going to you. Uh, put on the hat of a GOP strategist, which I feel like you've been doing this episode, anyways. Exactly. Uh, but. Yeah. <laughs> But but give a letter grade, okay? You're a GOP strategist. Give a letter grade to tum, uh, Trump declaring Antifa as a terrorist organization. Oh man, F. I'm gonna give it an F. I'm I'm like I'm gonna you know okay. So I uh, this is one of those issues, right? <laughs> this is when we break out and have the premium edition where Corey just rants for 25 yeah. minutes. No, and, and maybe my rant's not even quite what you expect, like. I don't know. Like there is this debate going on online that I'm sure you have all seen whether whether being Antifa is being anti-fascist, which I think yeah. maybe we maybe we could all support, right? Uh, or whether Antifa means means violent action to take down society, which is 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 extreme interpretation the other way around. Also, not mutually exclusive interpretations; they can be both things. But the the 
the challenge I have is that no matter which one it is, it is not an organization, right? It, it is like this manifesto. It's this collective. It's 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 declaring war on an ideology that even those within it cannot agree upon. Like this doesn't really make any sense. And it's just the standard Trump grandstanding that we've come to expect. I am concerned that it could have serious consequences on people's lives. Uh, you know, Trump could uh, could end up really ruining some young people's futures. And for that, he should just be condemned. And, and hopefully a judge will step in. But uh, th- this whole thing is baffling. Carter, same question to you. The letter grade you'd assign if you were a GOP strategist to Trump declaring Antifa a terrorist organization? It's a failure. Uh, I mean, there is no organization. Like, like terrorist organizations need to be actual organizations. And uh, the United States can bring themselves to bring the KKK to the level of uh, terrorist organization, but they've they've taken this this vague. I mean, really, all it was is Trump saying, "I need an enemy." People on my uh, people in my base seem to think that this Antifa is a thing, so let's go after them. Forgetting, of course, that it stands for anti-fascists, and the fact that it happened right <laughs> on around June sixth, the anniversary of D Day, when America, you know, the what the world united to actually fight real fascists. Um, it was pretty tone deaf and stupid. But what else do you expect from Trump? What else can you expect from Trump? He needed an enemy. He picked an enemy. Even if the enemy doesn't exist, that really doesn't matter to him. Oh, I forgot you were asking if it was a GOP strategist point of view. So I, I changed my mind. It's actually a B. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I mean, I, <laughs> it's going to play with his base. It's going to play with his base. Great. Uh, like this is, this is, They've never met anybody who professes to be Antifa. They've never contemplated going to a city because they're worried that, you know, without open carry laws, they'll be killed. This is this is just it's fine for his base. Uh, over under on six, uh, the political savvy of Jagmeet Singh. Uh, no, the question doesn't stop there. Uh, yeah, the political okay, savvy of Jagmeet Singh. Zero, uh, of, yeah. Uh, 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 calling out Trudeau and saying that he should have been more assertive uh, in in rebuking Donald Trump post twenty one second pause, what do you think of of that line of reasoning and 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 how maybe not how it delivered because I don't think many people heard it, but uh, what 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 you kind of feel like uh, Jagmeet's sort of strategy there was, Corey? I don't think it reflects well on him, and there are going to be people who say you don't put water in your wine. If you've got a problem with the president of the United States, you stand up and say so, but that's not. Like we've seen too often what the consequences of that that are, right? We've seen what Trump will do in the morning if he feels he was slighted the evening before. So, I, like, I don't think it was very smart. Yeah, Carter over under on six on the Jigmeet uh, strategy there. I mean, total failure. I mean, no one even heard about it. It has no impact, and he didn't even give a suggestion what he should have done. Like, it's just the guy's weak. He's been weak. He is weak. He will continue to be weak. Last question on a scale of one to ten, not how good or bad it was, just just so you know, just so you get that prepped, because Corey, I know you haven't been listening to some of the questions. Um, one of the questions. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, uh, how much impact uh, will the Tom Cotton piece that the New York Times ran have on their reputation going forward? So just to fill people in, the New York Times editorial board ran a piece by Senator Tom Cotton, same guy who was effectively advocating for people to for the military to plow people down during protests on Twitter, got to write a piece in the New York Times. A uh, lot of uh, reporters within the Times, editorial staff and otherwise, uh, went on Twitter with the, what seemed like a coordinated campaign saying that this would uh, put black reporters in danger at the Times. How much of a hit is this going to take 
uh, to the Times. Carter, I'll go with you first on this. Well, the editorial pages editor just resigned, so it has he a did. tremendous impact on him. Um, and uh, it has about $200,000 worth of impact on Tom Cotton, which is how much money he's raised since the editorial was published, and he doesn't have an opponent. Uh, so all of that money is ultimately going to be uh, funneled back into advertising against uh, Joe Biden. So, you know, Tom Cotton did okay. Uh, the New York Times continues to uh, both sides themselves to death in an environment where they're, you know, apparently you can both sides fascism. I had no idea. Didn't know. Thought you could only have one point on that. But uh, the New York Times in their unending desire to be uh, unbiased continues to show their fucking stupidity. <laughs> Corey, finish us off. No, that was perfect. I'm done. <laughs> we will leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 805 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.